Hey everyone, Tom Salami here. Welcome back. This is the MedTech Talk Podcast. I'm still working through piles of great content, great interviews, great discussions from the stage of the MedTech Conference. We'll be putting those out shortly through our uh, various channels, the MedTech Talk Weekly Newsletter, which you can get if you go to medtechconference.com and give us your email, social media, other means. So please uh, keep your eyes peeled. Among the uh, the torrent of great content we'll have are the interviews I uh, had a great opportunity to do in the back at our Health of GTV studios. And uh, one of the sit-downs I had was with Andy Weiss, who is the president and CEO of Recore Medical. I'd actually never talked with Andy before, and uh, it, was, it was a pleasure to meet him and to talk about um, some of the, the issues facing medtech. Andy is uh, counts himself an optimist and gives gives us many reasons why and uh, he needs to be he, he's his company recore is in the renal denervation denervation space excuse me or obviously a, a, an area that uh, has undergone a lot of scrutiny and has seen some disappointment and uh and he just kind of brings it all back as to to why this is uh still a very valuable space and why he sees recore succeeding or at least on a path to success in addition to its uh, fascinating technology, it's got a great uh, a great deal with uh, Otsuka, which is a, a Japanese pharmaceutical company. He'll talk about that, and uh, it's unusual, sort of uh, uh, almost pharma-like, in my words, almost pharma-like um, um, investment uh, strategic partnership. So uh, hopefully it can be a, a model for other companies trying to raise money from corporates. And we also talk more broadly about the, the state of financing. So I hope you do enjoy this conversation. I know I did with Andy Weiss, president and CEO of Recore. And uh, again, uh, stay tuned for more great content coming from the MedTech Conference. Well, Andy, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. So w- broadly, I sort of want to I want to talk to experienced entrepreneurs who have created companies, had success, and then gone back and, and done it again. But I want to talk specifically about what you're doing right now with mm-hmm. Recore. Can you tell us a bit about the company and, and what its origins are? Sure. Um, so, you know, two inventors from the New York area, Howard Levin and Mark Elfin, had some ideas about how to uh, lower blood pressure by reducing a certain type of nerve activity, sympathetic nerve activity. And they did it by... Uh, killing nerves that let the kidney communicate to the brain. When the kidney communicates to the brain, it helps regulate blood pressure. And so they started um, a field, and they developed a company called Ardian, and Medtronic went you know, and bought for mm-hmm. you know, a substantial amount of money, and they ran uh, a study which failed. Um, uh, in, in that time frame, uh, Sofanova Partners in Paris uh, was looking for new opportunities, and one of them came up. There was a company in the New York State uh, uh, called ProRhythm, which had developed some very interesting technology using ultrasound as an energy source to deliver energy into tissue for different reasons. Mm-hmm. The primary reason was to heat it up to ablate certain regions, and they were looking for different applications for it. They had had uh, denervating the nerves outside the renal arteries on the scope for quite some time. But they, frankly, they ran out of money. Um, so Sofanova Partners purchased the assets of ProRhythm and directed it towards renal denervation. This is the field that we're in. Uh, they uh, moved the company to Palo Alto and Paris. 
uh, Palo Alto to get the technology source and Paris to start to run clinical trials in Europe. They were actually incubated in the Sofanova offices in Paris, plus their office in Palo Alto. I was asked to join somewhere in 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had... Uh, replaced the original ProRhythm technology. We finished that techno- the, this next rev of technology, did all the preclinical and early human studies to show that it was deliverable and safe to use, and started to set about a path to commercialize, because we had CE Mark, but also run additional clinical trials. Um, in January of 2014, the Medtronic HTN3 trial results were released. That was their hypertension study, and it was, uh, um, it was a negative study in that there was no treatment effect shown, plus there was a study with a lot of noise in the data. So, in fact, the data was uninterpretable. Um, At that time, we were considering commercializing Mm -hmm. in Europe, but also looking at designing some new studies that would prove efficacy in some different patient populations from the Medtronic population. And um, the confluence of the Medtronic trial being negative and us designing new trials, we decided no commercialization because the market was really dead at, as a result of Medtronic's sure. work, and we accelerated our new new trials and moved those forward. And now we are, in fact, running our trial, which is called Radiance. It's got two dif- different patient populations in it. We've enrolled between 550 and 600 people in the trial. We're at 40 centers, half in Europe and half in the United States. So how do you <clears throat> raise money for a venture like that after a very... Very public. Yeah. So uh, um, trial. I think it's clear that when the Medtronic results came out uh, and the way they were announced um, basically froze the entire field. You know, people have used all kinds of terms like the nuclear winter kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Covidian stopped their effort. J&J yep. stopped their effort. Boston Scientific dramatically reduced their effort. St. Jude essentially stopped their effort. Um, but we were in the midst of designing a new set of studies, which we two studies, which we had actually created, combined into one, under one IDE. And we decided, no, this therapy made sense. Um, The pathophysiology made sense. The market demand made sense. And the fact that Medtronic's study was negative shouldn't affect us. And so then we decided to go out and try to raise money to sell that. The good news is we had Sofanova and the venture fund uh, started by Jacques Seguin, who's co-founder of Corvalve, Mm -hmm. as a backdrop and we talked to a number of both corporate and venture financing groups. As you can imagine, in 2014, no one was going to do anything. So we, we, you know, we cut back costs. We got a convertible note from Sofanova to stay alive in order to continue to try to raise money and f- finalize our study designs, both uh, so we knew what we wanted to do, but also to get FDA approval for those study designs. Um, among the folks we spoke to were, was a Japanese pharmaceutical company named Otsuka. Mm-hmm. And among the folks that were proposing financings to us, the Otsuka financing sounded, frankly, the most interesting. And so um, we started working on that financing in late 2014, uh, uh, closed part of it in 2015, and then another part of it in 2016. And uh, Otsuka has been a very interesting financing partner, very positive one. Mm-hmm. But completely new to us. You know, I've been in the medical device industry for many, many years. Never heard about Otsuka. How did they, did they come to you? Did you hear that they might be interested? How did so, they come together? Um, we heard, they, they came to us. Um, they had uh, been interested in expanding their, their pharmaceutical franchise and their pharmaceutical distribution capabilities in Japan to include devices. 
and in certain fields. One of them was hypertension. Mm-hmm. And they had a small business development group reporting into their corporate headquarters. Atsuka, for what you know, for what it's worth, is they're the number two Japanese pharmaceutical company. They've got about twelve billion in annual revenue, most of it in Japan, but you know, out in greater Asia, but also in the United States and Europe. And um, uh, they had a very successful IPO, in, you know, and raised a lot of money. And they created basically a strategic intent to build a device business. And they wanted to put their toe in the water with small investments in Recor to experience what an early or clinical stage medical device startup would be and really understand the dynamics there. So we laid out our clinical trial path. They have very strong clinical trial capabilities, very strong regulatory capabilities, limited medical device experience. So what we ended up doing with Otsuka is we got an equity investment from them, Mm -hmm. plus we sold them commercial rights to Asia, Japan, Korea, China, down to basically Vietnam. And for that, they would have to run clinical trials and get approvals in the different countries. And if they did, they'd have commercial rights to go market. Uh, What's happened since then is, uh, in addition to that, they decided to purchase an an acquisition right in the company. So we sold them some equity. We sold them commercial rights and a purchase option Hmm. in the company. Uh, So it's been a very attractive financing from our equity shareholders, and we've raised a substantial amount of money from them. It's in the range of $30 million now. Plus, they have initiated and are running um, a pivotal study in Japan with our technology. Now they've added Korea, and we're starting to talk about China. So they're an extremely supportive, positive, active, strategic investor. Mm-hmm. Um, a new one to me, a new entrant. But they're not the only one. There were a few other relatively new entrants into these fields that have that were willing to invest. Um, the thing to remember about our field, um, so there are a billion people on Earth with hypertension. Very few are treated. And those that are treated, less than half of them are treated successfully. Just in the United States, there are 80 million adults that have high blood pressure. Far less than half are treated successfully. Mm-hmm. And uh, high blood pressure leads to congestive heart failure, strokes, and, you know, heart attacks. So it is the, in the World Health Organization statement, it's the single most important disease state uh, because it leads to all these other bad disease states. And if you can keep people's blood pressure controlled, you lower the incidence of all these other cardiovascular diseases. Mm -hmm. And the big reason people aren't treated is they don't take their drugs. And there are too many drugs. Some people can be in four or five drugs, and people just don't take them. If uh, we can complain about that, but in the end of the day, if our device works and we can give you one treatment and it lasts for five years, mm-hmm. it could set back your progression into hypertension for five years, dramatically reduce you know, health care events, costs. And um, if you think about the concept of a billion people, if our catheter sells for $3,000, that's $3 trillion dollars. It's it's a Huge big market, yeah, right, for sure. Right. So it's worth it. It's worth it to try, <laughs> right? Sure. Right. Well, talk about the the terms of that deal. The 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 selling of the regional rights. I see that more in pharma than I do in medtech. Maybe am I missing? Is that are those common terms in medtech? Yeah. So it's it's far more like a pharma deal, mm-hmm. and um, so a lot of the details of it I just can't talk about because sure. Atsuka is a public company, and you know it's under confidentiality. But what I can say is. We sold them commercial rights to Japan and Asia for a long period of time in order to 
maintain those, they have to perform. And among performing is they have to do clinical trials and get regulatory approvals and then grow the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also have to perform. We have to provide them technology that meets the regulatory needs of the different countries. So it's very much a partnership about understanding the regulatory requirements of Japan and providing them products that meet those. Um, if, If we can't provide them with product, naturally, they're a large company. They need the ability to make it themselves. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, a, in terms of the agreement that says if we can't supply them, then they can supply themselves. Um, but, uh, you know, I think long term they they would like to build a device business and they they may decide to move into the United States and Europe. It wouldn't surprise me, however, if their preferred approach would be to have a partner that could be a uh, – you know, one of the gold label device companies in Europe or the United States mm-hmm. where they would like to be their partner in Asia given their strength of brand and their strength of uh, channel. Uh, those things will play out over time. You know, right now our goal is to have their study and our studies be successful and to be funded so we can complete them. But I, I've appreciated how strategic they've been in general um, as an investor. And, you know, I worked at Medtronic for five years, I worked at GE for 10 years. I've seen J&J, Boston, et cetera, and I think these strategic deals make sense for both the strategics and for a lot of startups. I'm going to take a quick break from this conversation with Andy Weiss to uh, remind you to go to medtechconference.com to sign up for the MedTech Talk newsletter. You'll get these great podcasts, our great video interviews, content from our stage, and uh, other highlights from the MedTech world. So go to medtechconference.com, sign up for the MedTech Talk weekly newsletter. Now back to this conversation. It's great that you were, well, the, the, number one, there may be another player in the field, which would be great. Yeah. But to find someone else who can provide capital for, as we discussed earlier, for an area that, that's had some trouble. Right. You laid out the reasons why this is in a compelling area. At some point, though, when you sort of took this on, did did you ask yourself if you were a little nuts getting into this? Or can you look past yeah. all the, the, the reasons why not and see the why? So um, in general, <laughs> you know, a couple of things. First of all, I joined ReCore before the Medtronic negative sure. results came out. Yep. And I looked very carefully at the clinical trial results that were there and, you know, felt that there's no question that the mechanism of action, the clinical need, the the – you know, the pathophysiol all supported that this works. Mm-hmm. To me, the question was what technology is best at delivering the therapy and then how can you design a trial that will demonstrate that? I am 100% convinced that denervating the renal nerves effectively can safely reduce blood pressure in a large population of people. Mm-hmm. To me, the only questions are designing a trial that will demonstrate that and figuring out exactly what subpopulation of people can respond because not everyone has high blood pressure due to high sympathetic nerve activity. Some have it due to diabetes. Some have it due to being overweight. Some have to, you know, for heart, they have heart failure. There are many, many causes. So what we're doing in our trials, we're screening all those people out that have what are called secondary causes for hypertension. Makes the trial much, much more rigorous. So the chances of these spurious failures like Medtronic have go way down. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think... I think we've got a well-designed trial that has good odds of showing positive outcome. Once we got to that space, I was very comfortable because I knew we could put a team together to run that study and do it with quality. I mean, our mantra in the company is quality first, then speed, 
than money. Because mm -hmm. if the study isn't good quality, you spend all that money for nothing. If you go slowly, you waste a lot of money and people get bored. So we need to never compromise quality, get it done quickly, and then the money follows. This is my view. Do we, and kind of looking at the broader question as to the state of medtech innovation and the reason why entrepreneurs like yourself do it again, do we tend to focus too much on the audience and are we missing success stories out there that should be equally as influential to us? Yeah, I mean, I'm a contrarian. I don't believe Ardian was a success story. I mm -hmm. think it was a dramatic failure. Mm -hmm. And I bristle when folks are celebrated for the exit that uh, created a study that was, um, you know, so unfortunate for the field. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you can celebrate in the short term, but it, it's not healthy in the long term. Um, so I... I uh, you know, I, I, and I, I have nothing bad to say about folks that were involved in the whole Ardian affair, but I, I, I just think we should celebrate it with some humility mm -hmm. or discuss it with humility. Um, what I think is there are a lot of folks out there like me that, and we're at a conference and a lot of folks are in the, in the, in the attendees here who believe that medical therapy is a, is a good thing and that devices can provide medical therapies. Mm -hmm. And uh, we made choices about what fields to devote our lives to. And part of that is new medical therapies and using devices. I don't think there's ever been a better time to employ technology for new medical therapies. Uh, electronics, software, controllability, you know, nanotechnologies, whatever it is. The technologies are there. The population of the world demands it. People are getting wealthier. All of the basic demographics and economics say – Demand for medical devices will go up. The question is, in my view, how to pick the right ones, mm -hmm. how to invest appropriately in those to demonstrate that, and then get them out into the marketplace. And I'm not saying those things are you know, easy to do, but I, there are certain things that I enjoy spending my time on. The, the mistake is to think you can do it uh, on a shoestring you know, quickly without rigor. And every now and then you can, but I think in the long run – you know, Dennis War is a good example. How did Lutonix work? He funded it and did it correctly. You look at the, what's going on with Reflection. They funded it well. They're doing it well. They're going to have a huge benefit for patients and a, and a win for their investors. I think we have the opportunity to do that at Recore as well. When I ran Vital Images a year ago, we invented a new way to look at uh, medical images. Mm -hmm. And I remember doctors calling me up and say. The Vitreous software just saved the life of a you know ten year old kid because I could figure out how to you know coil their aneurysm. These are real things, and they certainly motivate me. And I think the thing that uh, I am constantly reminded of is the wonderful thing about the CEO role is we're at the intersection of a lot of different little worlds. One world is the investor community, mm -hmm. and we need to provide them good opportunities for return. The other is doctors who want to treat people and innovate. And we bring those two together. And I think that's just a worthwhile way to spend my life. I think we can be successful with both. No, I think MedTech has a problem telling stories like that. The fact that you, you are creating therapeutic ther uh, devices, technologies that will help people. And we tend to get wrapped up and maybe it's just the, the role of the reporters and the media sort of focusing on the, the dearth of capital and every reason yeah. not to do something. Well, I, I, think, I think, you know, if you – as I've, I've said to friends over the years um, – this is – MedTech's a feel-good story, 
pure and simple. Mm-hmm. I mean, pe- some people can complain about the cost, but I would come back and say, if you need a pacemaker in the United States today, you can go to the hospital, and I'll bet you you have a hundred percent confidence that you'll actually get a pacemaker, and it will work. Mm-hmm. Now think about that. I mean, you know, people complain about the FDA, but the things that get through the FDA are safe and effective, mm-hmm. and our confidence level is extremely high in air, in catheters, pacemakers, whatever it is, those things work. And the once in a while that they don't work, we're really surprised. Metal on metal hip joints. You know, we were shocked by that mm-hmm. because the process is rigorous to get them through and they provide benefit, clear and simple. What I think's happened is the financing model broke for mm-hmm. a little while. The idea that a small vet, that a thousand small venture funds can put, you know, three million in and expect to get this big exit, that's just not realistic. These things take time and money to do. We're extremely capital efficient. I mean, uh, Recourse got, you know, 25 people, and we're running uh, a blinded sham control efficacy trial in 40 centers in five countries. No large company can do that. Mm -hmm. Our capital efficiency is enormous. These are engines of growth and therapeutic invention, which are going to generate returns. We heard earlier today that, uh, you know, one of the guys from NEA said the way to do this is you need a syndicate, you understand the milestones, and fund through those milestones. And I think that's a winning formula, and I think NEA's figured that out. Others have as well. So going forward, are you optimistic that we've sort of figured out the financing part of this, that maybe this is the new normal, or is there still some iteration that needs to I be done there? I think there's a lot of work that, in yeah. it, you know, that's going to go on. I think a lot of the smaller funds have exited. Uh, I think Mark Dean said earlier that's kind of good because we're not funding a lot of things that really didn't have cl- critical mass. As an example, when the Medtronic bought Ardian, People said there were 50 renal denervation companies. There were never 50 renal. <laughs> there were sort of four. I'd heard 37. Yeah, but, but yeah. It, was, it was complete nonsense. Yeah. It was like anyone that had a catheter said, now I'm a renal denervation company. <laughs> and they said they wanted to go you know, fundraise. It was all nonsense. So I think a lot of stuff's cleaned out. I yeah. think that's good. I think we've gone a little bit too much in a trough. I think people need to come back a little bit into this uh, area. And I think, there are, I think they will because there are returns available. Mm-hmm. And it's not just NEA. They're clearly there. But Sofanova in France is one of them. And I think, you know, I think they'll start to come back. We, we had the confluence of two things, trouble and devices and, relatively speaking, easy money and biotech happening at the same time. Good point. So I think devices will come back. Biotech's a little bit more normalized. So I think I'm hopeful that things will, uh, will improve again. And I think some of the mid-cap companies are going to start investing. Uh, I've had a lot of discussions with BTG. They've mm-hmm. been active. They bought some companies recently. So I hope some more folks like that come up. I hope Boston comes back in as well. Um, Medtronic will continue doing what they're doing. Uh, we'll see. I personally don't understand the J&J strategy, but I know that you know they're active. So you know, I, I then let's see some new players from Japan and China. Mm-hmm. Philips is more active now since they bought Volcano. So I think there's a future here. Excellent. Well, it's, it's nice to have an optimistic conversation, and we look forward to following the recourse story going forward. All right. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Man, what a great conversation. Andy Weiss, thank you again for helping us out at the MedTech Conference. I look forward to uh, talking to you again in the future, both on the podcast and off. Uh, I just really found you to, be, to have a great perspective on, on MedTech, and it's one that uh, needs to be amplified. Thank you, MedTech Talk podcast listeners, for joining us. 
please do us a few favors. Give us a ranking on iTunes. Helps people find the podcast. Do tell your friends if they love MedTech Innovation as much as you do. Tell them about the MedTech Talk podcast. And uh, finally, shoot me an email. Tom at Healthogy.com. That's the name Tom. Followed by the word Healthogy, which is the word health. Followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. Tom at Healthogy.com. Let me know who I should talk to. Let me know what I should talk about. Or, uh, or just say hello. Promise to respond back. And uh, that's it. Again, that's a wrap. Thanks to everyone who was at the MedTech Conference a couple weeks ago. Look for the content that is coming out. And uh, tune in next week for another tale of innovation on the MedTech Talk podcast.